Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Natural Co-Creators Show with Jennifer Lynch, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in England, America or anywhere else. Um, Tonight I'd like to tell tell you a little bit about um, my interview with Gina Gardner. Um, She's written this amazing book called Thriving Not Surviving. And she is a number one international best-selling author. She's a motivational speaker and coach with over 30 years' experience. She's supported many individuals and couples to develop a greater sense of self-worth by changing their limited beliefs in order to be more loving towards themselves. She's very passionate about helping her clients to achieve their full potential and to become their genuine best. Okay, so good evening, Gina. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Hello there, and hello to all the listeners. Lovely to be here. Okay, so I've obviously read um, your bio and what you've been doing in your life. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to finish the book, but um, you certainly have come from a very interesting place and obviously have gained lots of experience through your challenges. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into your coaching in the first place? Um, my first sort of professional life, if you like, I was a teacher and then I became um, the deputy of a school. Um, I was appointed to be the catalyst for change. And so the first term and a half, we were busy um, creating plans for what we were going to do. Um, I then went skiing in the half-term holiday and had a serious ski accident, which um, then impacted upon um, my life and my mobility particularly. Um, I became a head um, six months after the ski accident. um, And over the next few years, my mobility um, got worse until I had to use the wheelchair um, and couldn't get into most of my classrooms because... um, even if I could get through the doorway, I couldn't get round the classroom. So um, I had to find a way of developing excellence and helping people reach their potential by taking ownership of their own development. And that's really been the huge gift of, of my disability. But out of that, um, a coaching style was really important because it was about helping people recognize they had the resources and how they could use them. I became a qualified coach while I was serving head. Um, I left headship after 21 years um, and then started to do um, coaching. I became an NLP master practitioner, for example, did lots of training in the States because I think um, at that time, particularly, there was much more um, development going on there. 
Um, and I started being in business for myself um, as a coach, as a mentor, as a trainer around leadership and empowerment. Um, and it's very much like Brighton Rock. If you cut my arm or my leg, you'd find that, that helping people to feel empowered is, is who I am, really. Mm, that's really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So, oh, we've got a bit of feedback oh, on here. I don't normally get feedback. It's a bit unusual. I'm not sure quite what to do about that, but oh, I think it's stopped now. So that's good. Okay, so so when you were, um, which school did you, what area of the country were you living when you were ahead of the school? Um, it was Romford, which is on the very outskirts of, of northeast London. Um, so quite an interesting area, um, quite built up, uh, lots of people um, moving, working in, in the city, for example, or in, in town. Very mixed economy, um, quite a lot of um, racial tension, particularly when I first went there. So very urban, um, and, uh, but, but a lovely school, um, and we had great grounds and a, a really super opportunity to develop um, a family atmosphere, although it was a very big school, nearly 500 children. Um, and also, we had animals in the quad, so children learned how to care for them. It was it had a, a, a super atmosphere, and we built a really incredible team there when I was ahead. Mm. And obviously, you then had those challenges of mobility. Um, so, so when you had the ski accident um, and you first went back to the school, uh, what were they like towards you? Were they um, accommodate you and help you with this situation the other staff were they good to you then in the first instance um i i wasn't using a wheelchair my energy levels were limited um but school really took everything i had it wasn't until about 1989 the ski accident was in 1983 um, that my mobility was getting more and more of a challenge and I worried and I whittled about, should I use a wheelchair? What would people think? Would the parents trust me? Would I get the sack? Um, you know, just uh, a constant nightmare. And it came to a head in the summer holidays. Um, I and some friends went to Wisley Gardens, which are absolutely beautiful. And being pig-headed, I wouldn't use the wheelchair that was on offer. And I sat mm. in the car park for two to three hours while all of the others went around the garden thinking to myself what are you doing why are you limiting yourself in this way as it was I went into hospital very soon after that and when I came out I had absolutely no choice but to use the wheelchair I was in hospital for four months um, and all of that worry all of that angst was a complete and utter waste of time mm. I came Children didn't bat an eyelid. Well, apart from I, I bought a Wizzy wheelchair to use at school, which could raise to standing height. And typical of me, they came to show me how to use it, and I was in a hurry. So I went into assembly on the first morning. I found a fabulous story about a wizard who rose to his full height. And as I, I read the story, so the chair rose up, foot, and then I got stuck. Um, oh, and no. Much amusement of the children and the staff I was stuck at the top of this pole for about 20 minutes um, oh no and that was the only the, the only problem about my using a wheelchair 
the yeah. parents were very accommodating, the children didn't bat an eyelid. All of that worry was wasted. It was much more about what did I do with it? If I mm. was running the school well, if I was confident, um, then other people took confidence from that. And I learned a really, really big lesson um, there that we all worry about what will other people think. And actually what we've got to be is genuinely true to ourselves and do what enables us to be most empowered. And my chair, rather than a thing of lack, was my chariot on fire. It really allowed me to get around <laughs> yeah. and do things. It was always on fast speed, um, and I got very good at manoeuvring it through doorways, occasionally chipped the paint. Children would very kindly hand me the chip and say, we won't tell Mr. John, the site manager, um, and they gave it me back to put the chip of paint in the bin. Um, so they colluded with me a little bit, but no, it was fine. Okay, so you had your teaching skills, which is very valuable, I'm sure, with um, the coaching work that you do. So when you went to the States, we, how did you manage? You were obviously doing some life coaching training then. Were you? Sorry, I, I'm going to have to ask you this. Were you still in the wheelchair then, or did you get assistance, or had you, um, you know, how did you think you actually managed to get get better? Because you learn to walk again twice, it says here. Um, so presumably you had some physio, some help in this process. Right. The, um, in 1996, I sneezed and I ruptured a disc. Um, oh. They surgically removed it. And I had what's known as um, uh, a failed back surgery syndrome. When I woke up from the anaesthetic, if I put my left foot to the floor... Uh, the pain was so uh, challenging that I would faint. Um, and over the next six months, I had a number of nerve blocks and all sorts of treatment to try and desensitize these ultra um, sensitive nerves, which were really making it impossible for me to do anything other than be a very good stalk. Um, and as I had each nerve block and each um, thing to help, so I would be able to perhaps walk a couple more steps. So to start with, I had a wheelchair downstairs. At that time, I lived in a house, so I had a stair lift and I had a wheelchair upstairs. Um, so it was a bit challenging. But, but over 18 months, um, I managed to walk to the bottom of my very small garden. And I did that by the Easter in 1998. On the last day of the summer term in 1998, by this time I could probably walk about 30 or 40 feet um, unaided, maybe a tiny bit more on a good day. Um, last day of term, um, again, the first one was at the end of the summer term too. Um, I wasn't very well, I was sick and I rubbed another disc. Oh my um, removed again failed back surgery syndrome and this time I was completely and utterly wheelchair couldn't stand oh my goodness um, and so I was completely wheelchair bound then until in 2004 I had an internal spinal stimulator fitted which is a bit like a TENS machine you know oh where, yeah yeah um but the wires are actually into my spine and the the batteries in my tummy and I have a what looks like a television um, control thing, and I can turn it on and off. 
Um, and my mobility was very, very slowly able to improve, but very slowly. And there's quite an interesting story, really, because I, um, I've done a lot of NLP training. I used Ian McDermott, um, who is over here, brilliant training, and also done uh, NLP uh, coaching training with the same organization. So I decided to go and look at different people using NLP in different ways. And I, I went on a Tony Robbins course, um, and I expected, you know, this huge American, lots of hype. And I went very cynically, yeah. really, if I'm honest. Anyway, there were 10,000 people on the course at the um, Excel Centre in London. Um, mm -hmm. Unleash the power within was the And everybody did the firewalk, which is where you walk on in bare feet over coals, hot, burny coals. Um, oh, I've heard, time, I've heard about this. I've heard about this. Someone it's who amazing. went and did this. I would never yeah. do it, but well, <laughs> you're very you know, brave. Um, I did it, and I was absolutely ecstatic. But when I turned round, the person behind me was a double amputee, and he'd done it on yeah. his hand. Now, I totally sorry, say that again. Good grief, that's incredible. It is. And for me, that was a pivotal moment, and I'll be forever grateful to that guy, who I have no idea who he is. Because I'd wanted to do a course in America, but I dismissed it. How would I manage on my own in the wheelchair? Um, and when I saw this guy walk the firewalk on his hands, I thought, I'm never going to self-limit again. I mm. travelled in this to do work for the DFES and for the National College of Leadership but I had a driver who took me from home to where I was going this was a whole different ball game because I was going to fly on my own and go to a course where I knew nobody um, and so I made the decision booked my tickets um, that night um, and I went off to California to the course um, that I wanted to do really really interesting because I'd gone from the UK where people were quite aware on these courses about needs of the wheelchair. And on at the beginning, my group leader said, I, I found a position for you. And he put me in the back row and I then, he then closed the row with chairs. And it was very difficult to see. There were lots of times when people were um, leaping about and hugging and doing things. I, I was stuck. I couldn't take part in anything and people kept on bumping into me because they couldn't see me and I went initially to talk to the guy and he said you're where you need to be it's fine and as the day went on I got more and more unhappy and upset about it and I thought what can I do and there's something here I think that's really useful for people to take on board perhaps around perspective because the next morning I went to the guy and said I'd like you to come and sit next to me just for 10 minutes, at the end of 10 minutes, if you think I'm in the right place, then I'll stay. But I'd just like you to see the world from my perspective. Within three minutes, I was moved. And there's a really Brilliant. good lesson, I think, of us that, you know, we have our own perspective and we, it becomes our truth. But if we're prepared to look at things from a different perspective, then we can see things from a whole different reality. Um, but since then, I've been to the States any number of times to, to do training. Um, 
in the early days, I would hire an electric wheelchair when I was out there. These days, I've got my own whizzy travel chair, and I just take that with me, and I'm self-sufficient. So um, it doesn't get in the way. And although I can walk now, I walk in the house and the garden, um, and I can walk very short distances to go into a restaurant and things like that. Um, if I'm going into town or I'm traveling, I still need to use the wheelchair. But for me, it's an enabler. It, it allows my world to be open. And I've been all over the world. I've been to South America, I've been to Russia, over Europe, Canada, Australia. Um, and so for me, it's about finding ways to do things, looking at what I can do rather than focusing on what I can't. That's really brilliant, and I think that's a very important message, isn't it? It's definitely a, a message for people out there who may be in similar situations that um, we don't have to limit um, what, we, what we're here to do. I'll say what we're here to do um, because things that, that might happen to us in our lives. I mean, we're hoping these things don't happen, but they are very real situations that people end up in aren't they they are but i'd like to take it a step further if you don't mind because yes please go ahead not just about disability i believe mm. disability is a metaphor for life because if you believe that you're not good enough or you believe you're not clever enough you're too old too young too fat too tall too too short um that disability travels with you wherever you go with my disability, I can get into an electric wheelchair and I can whiz away. We take those limiting beliefs with us and they can disable us if we allow them to. And I suppose that's really at my at the core of my heart's work, my life's work, my heart's work too, is to help people recognise that you are your beliefs. And if mm. your beliefs limit you, then you can, it's you, your choice, you can change them. You are the most amazing person. Each of us is unique. And if you believe in yourself, then, then you can do so much more. It's really interesting because I also think, um, say, if somebody has a stroke, and my mother was a major stroke victim, and she didn't get helped very much at all, but she actually chose to help herself um, yeah. by doing, I've, I've probably mentioned this, many times on the radio um she lost virtually lost the use of her hands and she decided that she didn't like that so what she was going to do is she was going to start knitting again and she yeah. used these enormous wooden knitting needles which are you know just to get her hands working so she had an attitude where she wasn't going to give up and i think you know that is like on she she wrote 33 33 novels and had them published so you know she would have never written those novels if she had at that point said i'm giving up i'm not going to i'm not going to try anymore i'm not going to fight anymore i'm not going to you know fulfill what i'm supposed to be doing and it was very very hard because she didn't have much support at all um yeah. so as it, you know, yeah. how it used to be. It's true about, I mean, an amazing woman, um, absolutely in awe of her capacity to see beyond her limitations and realise that she was so much more than that. But just think how many people who've got no 
obvious disability who are limiting themselves because they believe they can't or they fear that they're going to fail or they fear that they're going to succeed. Um, and you know, if we have belief in ourselves and our ability, you don't actually have to know how you're going to succeed from the start. You just need that belief that you will find a way to succeed. And I know from, you know, from myself and working with you know, thousands of people now, that if you truly believe in yourself and what you're doing, then you can move mountains. You can make what seems impossible possible. But if you believe you can't, it's a done deal. Because mm. you don't give yourself the opportunity. Do you think people fear success as much as they fear failure? You know, um, some people fear being successful. They want to be successful, but the fear is connected with being successful, if you understand what I mean by that. I think, um, in my experience, and maybe I've met a, a, a non-typical group of people, but as many people fear fail, uh, success as fear failure. But, mm. And they sabotage themselves when success is within sight that they uh, unconsciously sabotage themselves. And I think some of it is around, will people like me? Will they reject me if I'm successful? Will people expect too much of me if I'm successful? Um, they fear the unknown where they know the status quo. I think there are lots of complex reasons why people fear success. But it's interesting when you challenge and work with people how the limitations that they put on themselves suddenly just dissolve and they fly they just um, are able to um, expand their world and their horizons and it's just such a privilege to watch them okay so it's really great that you're helping people this way do you also think that poverty consciousness comes into that as well so Maybe not for fearing success, but they're fearing. If, if say, you were to be, you know, you're not used to money, and then suddenly you thought you're going to be getting a lot of money because you were successful, you'd think most people would like that because they'd want to spend it on their family and their friends and do great things with it, give some to charity, maybe. But maybe, do you think people also fear money as well? I think there are so many um, beliefs, limiting beliefs around money and abundance and deserving of it. Um, many of those are installed when we're little. We're told money doesn't grow on trees, that money is the root of all evil. All sorts of limiting beliefs around that. And actually, my view is that money is just energy. It's just another exchange. We have three commodities at our disposal, time, um, energy, and money. And you can use your money to buy other people's time and energy. Um, but uh, the entrenched beliefs about what people believe are incredibly powerful if they're allowed to remain unchallenged. Interestingly, if you look at people who, earn, who win huge amounts of money on the lottery, for example, a very significant proportion, it's well over half, two years later, it might be a bit longer than that, but certainly a few years later, are back to where they were before they won the money. And I but find that quite interesting. 
Yes, yes. And sometimes they just have lost it all. Yeah. Yeah. They've lost it all through gambling or, I don't know, just not taking care of it. Or People have, they've given money away. Um, But I, you know, the whole business about deserving money and what money means to you is something I would really urge your listeners to think about because we, 95% of what we do is habitual. We don't think about it at all. It just is. But Mm. when you start to examine our own beliefs about money, there's a school of thought which says that we each set a ceiling on how much we are going to have at our disposal. And if people are in a position of lack, really need to think about your beliefs uh, around money. I'm not saying it's as simple as just believe it and it will happen. But it certainly makes a big difference in terms of the choices that you make around money and abundance. Um, And if you believe um, that you deserve abundance and that you you make choices around money that are likely to lead to abundance. So rather than buying 23 new handbags and outfits and getting into debt and paying compound interest, that you buy one handbag and you save some money. Um, you know, all of our choices are driven by um, what we believe. And money and is one huge area. Another would be relationships. Um, but it's really worth examining what's going on for you as individuals around your beliefs because they are what drive your life. Okay, that's amazing, Gina. So I just want to say that your website is um, genuinelyyou.com, isn't it? www. Yeah, there's a hyphen. It's genuinely genuinely hyphen you. Yeah, genuinely com, And yeah. on there you can uh, subscribe and through the link I've put on the radio show preview as well, it will take you there. And then they can get people, readers can get a copy of your, or listeners can get a copy of your book through there, can't they? Thriving, Not Surviving. Do you want to talk a little bit about what your book covers, Gina? It's Thriving, Not Surviving. Sorry, the five secret pathways to happiness, success, and fulfillment. And it's lots of people um, offer ideas about how you can be happier, how you can be more successful, how you can be more fulfilled. But the trouble is when you focus on one area of your life, very often the other areas fall away. So this is a holistic, structured approach to um, achieving greater happiness, success and fulfillment in your life. And the book is really the introduction Um, next month. We're going to be launching a membership site with a, a program Um, supported program to help people achieve success, happiness and fulfillment Um, and there's going to be um, a a dynamic group they'll get support from me there there are uh, monthly um, presentations and group coaching all sorts of things all designed to support and help people on their journey, if you like it's a sat nav um, to achieving happiness, success, and fulfillment. Okay, that's wonderful. And you say that's all taking off very soon. Yeah, the book's already there. You can, as I say, get a free digital download from the website. It's on Amazon um, too, and all Kindle and all sorts of other um, uh, platforms. But if you want a free digital download, 
just go to genuinely-u.com. Um, the membership group goes live next month. Very excited about that. Um, you can People can join me on Facebook if you look for Gina Gardner or Genuinely You, um, and they'll get notification of, of the membership group if they're interested. Loads of free stuff on the, um, the website, lots of podcasts, lots of videos um, that people can access for free. Um, and, you know, please do interact. If you've heard the show and you, you know, please do um, Facebook uh, message me or let me know through the website. Um, and I'd love to hear from people. Okay. Grace, and when did you start writing, Gina? Because you've written other books as well, haven't you? I wrote um, my first two books were written in tandem when I left Headship um, and I started to work in the more business and corporate world. Kickstart Your Career um, is a book for people who are just leaving education um, or who are going back into work. Um, I suppose really it's about being a professional grown up um, and doing it quickly. Um, how to manage your staff more effectively looks at developing managerial skills um, and it, it, both of those books, jargon free, lots of practical ideas um, that were created um, through my uh, work in education. Um, all of the, the, the stuff works, I've now used it not only in schools but in dozens of different organisations who've taken on those principles. Um, and I started writing those in 2005 and then I wrote Chariots on Fire in 2009, which is uh, more of my story. And um, it looks at some of the strategies I used myself um, to live a positive life. And then the latest book I wrote last year. Uh, but Chariots and Thriving are both international bestsellers, which I'm very, very pleased um, well, with that. Well, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Well done. That's absolutely fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you one more thing here before we sort of finish up. I want to ask you if there's any one thing, just like a little tip or something that you would like to say to our listeners that they could sort of implement. We have we have touched on some, I know already, that they could implement maybe straight away in their lives, any little piece of advice or something like that. You could just say, oh, well, if, you know. One of the most powerful strategies to employ, particularly if life is a bit difficult at the moment, is collecting gratitude. Gratitude is an incredibly powerful emotion. Our brains are a bit like um, old-fashioned vinyl records, and we get stuck in the groove, just like the needle gets stuck in the groove of a record. And collecting gratitude is a really great way of recalibrating the brain to feel more positive. So you do it very simply. During the day, you just look out for things that make you smile or things that you appreciate. For me, nature's a great um, source of those. So it could be a, a, a beautiful tree or watching the cat playing in the garden, or um, it could be that somebody's phoned you, uh, a friend, or you've just had a nice cup of coffee. And you go through the day collecting as many of these as you can. And then as you're lying in bed, just before you go to sleep, scan the day and choose five. And over a very short period of time, what happens is the brain, which is, is, can't take in all the information that's available to it. So they say that there's millions of pieces of potential information and we narrow it down to 
plus or minus two of seven, um, because that's what we can manage in any given time. And so collecting gratitude helps you focus on the positive things rather than all the negative. It doesn't take the negative away, but it helps you feel more resourced. And within a very short time, clients report back that they're feeling much more positive, much more in control. So give it a go, and I'd be I'd love to know how people get on. Okay, I love that, Gina. That's absolutely brilliant. So thank you. That's I'm sure if everybody starts doing that in a small way, then that will make a difference to their lives. So thank you, and also thank <laughs> thank you for being my guest on the Natural Co-Creator Show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. And thanks to your listeners for listening. Um, I'd love to see you um, on Facebook or on the website. Uh, be great. Okay. But thank you very much indeed. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So that was the fantastic uh, Gina Gardner talking about her book and her coaching and many other things. So do get in touch with her if you're interested. And just to tell you her website again, it's www.genuinely-u.com. So please go to her website and have a look at what she's doing there because it's absolutely great. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play The Golden Meadow, sorry, The Gold Meadow by Ashna which is a beautiful piece of music just to finish the show today. And I will look forward to seeing you next Monday. Bye for now. <laughs> 